Well, good morning, everyone. If you can uh, just bring your conversations to a close. And uh, please do pick these conversations up again at the end. Uh, as many of you will know, we're continuing our sermon series this morning in the book of Acts. And um, this morning we come to look at Acts chapter 18 and verse 1 to 17. Uh, you'll also know many of you that uh, we are currently uh, in Paul's second missionary journey, as you can see from the map there. And we've been basically um, following Paul. Uh, so Paul started in Antioch, which you can see over there on the right of the map. And we've then looked at Paul's activities as he's uh, traveled around in places like uh, Philippi and then also Athens, which we looked at last week. And then when we come to our passage this morning, Paul is in Corinth, which you can sort of uh, see the, the bottom left uh, of Paul's uh, missionary journey. And so I'm now going to invite uh, Wena, um, if um, she would come up and uh, read our passage for us this morning. Thanks, Wena. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There, he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. Thank you very much, Wayna. Well, one of the most uh, moving news stories which I've read uh, over the last uh, year also concerns the president of North Macedonia. Um, so what happened was that there was a girl in North Mac Macedonia and she had Down syndrome. Uh, she was 11 years old and she was being bullied at school with some parents uh, even asking their children be placed in a different class to her. 
And so the president of the whole country, uh, someone called Stevo Pindorovsky, um, came to walk her to school himself. Uh, and so, as you can see from the uh, picture there on the screen, this is exactly what happened. Uh, the president of the whole country came to um, see her in her hometown, and then he took her hand and he walked her one day to school. It's a really heartwarming story. I'm uh, sure all of us can imagine the difference that it must have made to her to have the most powerful man in the whole country uh, walk with her and give her courage and confidence. And it may be that uh, you know this kind of thing as well from your own experience. Uh, when we have an important medical appointment, maybe, or a meeting with a lawyer, perhaps, or even coming to church for the very first time, it really helps to have someone go along with us. Well, what we'll see this morning is that this is also true when it comes to telling people about Jesus. However, we don't just have other people uh, with us, although I guess we may do, and that's a wonderful thing. Rather, we have Jesus himself who has promised to be with us, to help us, and give us confidence. Uh, we will see this morning that that was the Apostle Paul's experience in Corinth, and it can also be our experience as well this coming week here in Hong Kong. So then, um, just my way of introduction, uh, in the ancient world, uh, Corinth was a very important city. Uh, Corinth was very large, and uh, Corinth was also the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. It was a commercial hub for the whole region with very important trade routes, both north, south, east, and west, and boasted two ports. As a result, it was very wealthy and very prosperous. However, it was also known for its great immorality as well, especially the giant temple of uh, Venus that uh, had over 1,000 cult prostitutes uh, associated with it. And of course, later on in the New Testament, if you read the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians, you can, you can see what a huge problem the uh, immorality of the surrounding culture was for the early Corinthian Christians. And so really, Corinth was a really tough nut for the gospel to crack as our title for this morning suggests, a challenging church plant. And uh, I think that is especially when Jesus appears to Paul, as we will see in verse 9 and verse 10, and he promises that he will be with him. And so I'd like us to look at a couple of features of Paul's ministry in Corinth that we can um, learn from. And number one there on your sheets is preaching that persuades. And we really see this, I guess, from verse 1 to 8 which deals largely with what Paul's ministry is like. And we see that right at the heart of Paul's ministry in Corinth was faithful preaching that seeks to persuade his hearers. So then what do we learn about Paul's ministry from these verses? Well, uh, number one, uh, I guess we see Paul's team. So Paul's ministry um, in Acts was never a solo operation, but many, many people were involved in it. It's what we might call a gospel partnership, and we've been looking at that recently, of course, from the book of Philippians. Um, and we see here that uh, there was a married couple who were involved in it by the names of Priscilla and Aquila. Probably Priscilla was of a higher status to Aquila, which is why her name comes first. 
Uh, we know that they were husband and wife, and we know that they were really good friends of the Apostle Paul. We're told there in verse 2 that they had recently come to Corinth when the Emperor Claudius in Rome had expelled all the Jews um, from Rome, uh, which, of course, at this time would have included uh, all the Christians as well, because they were sort of all lumped together in one basket. Uh, it's worth a quick historical aside to say that we know that this happened around 49 AD. And uh, secular Roman sources say that this was a result of constant disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, which is probably the, uh, one of the earliest references to Christ that we have outside of the Bible. Priscilla and Aquila were probably very wealthy. And so when Paul arrived in Corinth, uh, he joined them in their tent-making business, uh, as that was also his trade, uh, which he would have learnt as a Jewish rabbi. And so Paul supported himself financially during the week then by making tents. And then at the weekend, he preached the gospel to the Jews in the synagogue, as we see there in verse 4. Again, it's uh, worth making a quick aside here to point out that this idea of tent-making has given its name to a particular kind of Christian ministry. Uh, so you, you may have heard of a tent-making ministry, which is a little phrase that Christians often use uh, to think about a circumstance where a Christian supports themselves as a missionary by their own work, uh, rather than being supported externally from the outside. Um, very often, of course, this is used to gain access to a country which is closed. So you may have a country which is basically closed to the gospel, its government won't allow any Christian missionaries in, but yet Christians are able to go in as things like school teachers or doctors or agricultural advisors, maybe, and these professions both enable them to earn a living and to have a legitimate reason for being there and also being able to um, share, share the gospel as well. And it's also an option too for uh, people in lots of other contexts too, this idea of um, tent-making ministry. They maybe have a job that enables them, them to go part-time, to work a kind of few days during the week and um, still manage to make ends meet, and then they can work for the gospel and the work of God perhaps um, more full-time uh, in the rest of the days which are left over. And this whole idea, really, of tent-making ministry uh, comes from what we see Paul doing here, where he worked with his hands during the week to financially support himself and then evangelize the Jews as well at the weekend. And so we have then Priscilla and Aquila. And um, we also have two men named uh, Silas and Timothy there in verse 5. So verse 5 tells us that Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia and as a result, Paul was able to devote himself exclusively to preaching and teaching. So these were Paul's valued friends and ministry colleagues who he derived encouragement from and who he would have looked to for friendship and emotional support. Um, their um, visit to Paul in Corinth is actually mentioned uh, by Paul uh, over in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse um, 6 which Paul was writing at this time and uh, Paul writes these words but Timothy has just now come to us from you he's talking about the uh, same thing we read in Acts 18 and has brought good news about your faith and love he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you and so Paul derived great encouragement here from the visit of uh, Silas and Timothy 
Um, we also know that Silas and, and Timothy brought a financial gift with them as well. And this is what lies behind verse 5 here where it says that from this point on, Paul no longer needed to work with his hands and he could devote himself to preaching and teaching full time. And so really part of Paul's team, therefore, is also uh, these unnamed Macedonian Christians because it was their financial gift that led to Paul being able to devote all his time to preaching and teaching. And so hopefully you can begin to see that the picture that's being painted for us here in this uh, early part of Acts 18 is really of partnership in the gospel. Paul may have been the one who was uh, doing most of the speaking, but yet behind him was a whole host of helpers and colleagues who were supporting him and caring for him and even financing his ministry. I think one of the problems that we often have is that we often tend to think of evangelism really as something that we do on our own. You know, we read our Bibles on our own, we pray on our own, and we evangelize on our own, perhaps, as well. But I think this reminds us that uh, we'll be much more confident often in sharing the gospel with other people if we have the help and support of other people around us. I actually think this is uh, one reason why our home groups or some of the small groups that we have can be so helpful. And we can ask prayer, perhaps, for particular people, particular individuals, maybe particular um, circumstances. Uh, if we're struggling with evangelism, finding it really hard, we can ask for prayer that God might give us a greater desire, maybe, to reach out. Uh, maybe we can pray for opportunities to, to come up. Um, if you can't be part of a um, small group, perhaps, then maybe there are other ways of doing this. And so we see Paul's team. But then we also see here Paul's message as well. So we're told there in verse 5 that Paul gave himself to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Paul's message was the message about Jesus. As we've seen so often in the book of Acts, Paul proclaimed Jesus as the one who fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. He was the Messiah. Uh, he was the one who had lived a perfect life, yet was unjustly condemned and crucified to die on a Roman cross. And his death, of course, wasn't random. It was God's plan to bring about the salvation of everyone who would believe. And of course, Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again and will one day return. And so we see Paul's message, but we also see how he presented it here as well. And particularly if you look there at verse 4, um, we see that it uses two important words uh, which are used uh, fairly often uh, in this part of Acts. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So what was Paul's method? How did he present his message? Well, first of all, we see that he reasoned. He uh, was willing to use arguments. Um, this is the word, actually, where we get our English word, dialogue from. Uh, Paul dialogued with the Jews. It means that he conversed. He exchanged ideas with them. He presented arguments from the Bible um, as to why they should believe. Um, we also see here that Paul tried to persuade them. Uh, Paul didn't just opt for sort of take-it-or-leave-it approach uh, when it came to Christian things and the gospel message, but rather he sought to change people's minds uh, by using argument and logic. Uh, I think perhaps one of the big takeaways of this for us is that we need to be able to defend what we believe and even argue for it 
if necessary. For most of us, this maybe means knowing answers to kind of some of the very common questions uh, which Christians may often be asked. How can you believe that the Bible is actually true? Hasn't science disproved God? Why are Christians so hung up about issues of sex and gender? Uh, why does God allow suffering? And of course, uh, lots of other questions as well. Of course, answering those kinds of questions and providing reasoned answers to those questions that people may ask may not actually make somebody into a Christian. But yet it often will help sort of um, clear away some of the undergrowth which exists there and uh, maybe clear up and uh, try and answer some of the common objections that people have. Um, if you haven't done so, then it is worth uh, doing some reading on this. We've got uh, individual books on lots of the topics which I just uh, mentioned uh, outside there on the, the bookstore. If, if you want sort of a one-stop um, which is really helpful. Then there's two books there on the screen by uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. Uh, so we've got ten questions that every teen should ask and answer about Christianity, although actually it's really good for grown-ups uh, as well. So this is great if you're a, a teen. It's also great if you are a grown-up. And then also uh, her, her book previous to that, Confronting uh, Christianity, which is aimed at adults, um, which is uh, 12 hard questions for the world's largest Religion. Uh, both of those would be an excellent place to start on this whole topic, uh, whether or not actually uh, you are a Christian. And uh, all of this basically is what we see Paul doing here, reasoning with people, uh, seeking to persuade them of the truth about Jesus Christ. And then uh, lastly, we also see the results. I guess we may think that all that would be needed would be persuasive preaching and if we have persuasive preaching then surely uh, everybody will instantly respond to the good news but unfortunately um, that is not what happens so there in verse 6 we see that the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive as we've seen in many times in Acts previously and Paul's response here was to uh, shake the dust off his clothes and say well your blood is on your own heads I'm innocent of it from now on I will go to the Gentiles now, what he's basically saying is, I've been faithful. Uh, you've heard the message. It's now on your own heads. It's your responsibility whether you respond to it or not. Um, so Paul attracts hostility from the, the Jews, but then there are some people um, in Corinth who do find Paul's preaching persuasive and become Christians. Uh, so he mentioned some of them here. So Titius Justus, uh, whose host Paul now uses for his uh, meetings, and then somebody called Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Um, I think this um, reminds us that you can actually listen to the best preaching in the whole world and yet still not become a Christian. I think it must have been amazing to be able to listen to someone like the Apostle Paul preaching about Jesus. And very often we think that if only our friends could hear a really great, a really moving preacher, then they would most definitely respond. But this reminds us, I think, that that is not always the case. I'm sure Paul's preaching was really great and it was really persuasive. But yet many, many failed to respond to Christ when Paul preached. And so Paul makes clear here that ultimately the responsibility is on their own heads. Each of us is personally responsible for the response that we make to God. And so that's really the uh, first thing we see here from this passage, uh, preaching that persuades. 
However, I know that many of us may be deeply fearful about this. Uh, there's nothing that scares us more than ever having to open our mouths to say something about Jesus or even to be known as a Christian, maybe in our school or workplace. Uh, we've talked in one previous week recently about crossing the pain barrier. So uh, how are we to do this? Well, I think the good news is that Jesus knows how we feel and Jesus has given us his great and precious promises to help us. And uh, this leads us on then to promises that protect. Um, if you can think all the way back to the illustration that we opened with this morning, you can perhaps think of that girl um, walking to school on her own maybe, uh, wondering whether or not she will be bullied that day. Uh, maybe some of the fear that um, she may have been feeling. Well, it may come as something of a surprise for you to know that that is sometimes how the Apostle Paul felt as well. It's very easy to have in our minds, isn't it, that image of the sort of Apostle Paul like a kind of missionary robocop, sort of a stri striving through the ancient Mediterranean world, uh, planting churches and, and sort of carrying all before him. But that's not really the picture that we get from the book of Acts, and it's certainly not the picture that is painted for us by Paul's letters as well. Uh, rather, the picture that is painted there is of someone who is often weak, somebody who is frequently unwell, and who may not have actually been a very impressive speaker, uh, something which I find is a great uh, encouragement um, to people like me. And it seems as if Paul especially struggled when he came to Corinth. Uh, maybe this was because of Corinth's great immorality. That's definitely possible. But what is certainly true is that when he looked back on his experiences later on, so in uh, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3, he said these words. He says, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. And so we know that Paul here was greatly distraught. He was filled with great fear and trembling. Again, why did Paul feel this way? Well, I think it's maybe helpful uh, if we can think about Paul's experiences thus far. Almost everywhere Paul has been now on his two missionary journeys, in almost every stop, um, he's been persecuted and forced to leave. Uh, often there's been some success, yes, but eventually opposition has often caught up with Paul and he's been beaten or flogged or he's been placed in prison. And I'm sure uh, he expects exactly the same thing to happen here in Corinth as well. And so I actually think it's in this context that we need to read the words that Jesus spoke to Paul there in verse 9 and 10. So let's remind ourselves of what Jesus said. Uh, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So uh, notice there we have three commands. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. And then these three commands are backed up by three promises from Jesus. I am with you. No one is going to harm you. And I have many people in this city. How is Paul going to stay in Corinth with the prospect of persecution and, and uh, all of the immorality that was around him? Well, only because Jesus is with him. Nothing can harm him until God's plans are accomplished and Jesus has many people in this city. So then uh, let's look at a couple of these in turn. And uh, first of all, Jesus says, I am with you. Um, so there in verse 10, Jesus says, I am with you. 
no one is going to attack and harm you. See, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is not alone in his work. Sorry, Paul is not alone in his work because Jesus is with him. And this echoes, I guess, many of the great promises that God had given to his people so frequently in the Old Testament. I am with you. Do not be afraid. Uh, it also echoes what Jesus said to his disciples in the Great Commission of in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, uh, when Jesus said, uh, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus will be with us. It's amazing to think how reassuring it must have been to that girl uh, for the, to have the president of the whole country um, walking with her and holding her hand. Well, how much more reassuring for those of us who are Christians to know that God in the person of Jesus Christ walks with us and holds our hand. Um, for those of you who will be getting baptised next week, remember this. You may be nervous about getting baptised. Maybe especially nervous about giving your, your testimony um, to people uh, who may not be Christians. But remember that Jesus is with you. And he will help you and strengthen you. He will give you the words to say. Uh, he will speak through you by his Holy Spirit. Uh, there's no need to be afraid. Or maybe you are a Christian teenager or young person. And you are really anxious perhaps about uh, going away to college or university one day. You're not sure how you will cope with uh, all the pressures of maybe having to live for, for Jesus in a uh, hall of residence perhaps. Well, remember again, Jesus has promised to be with you. And then Jesus also says here, I have many people in this city. I think this is uh, one, really one of the most encouraging things of all as we get involved in the work of evangelism. Jesus has already been working in people's lives and nothing can thwart his plans to bring them to himself. And this is often called the doctrine of election. It means that God has chosen um, some people to know him from before the beginning of time. And so we know that there will be some people who will respond because God has already chosen them. Of course, we don't know in ad advance uh, who is chosen and who is not. And uh, so we need to tell the good news to everyone. But the assurance here is that we know that there will be a harvest when Paul preached the gospel in Corinth, he could be assured that Jesus already has many people in this city uh, who he knows are going to respond. And actually, it's exactly the same for us as well. When we preach the gospel here in Hong Kong, we can be assured that God already has his people here in Hong Kong. And so we can spread the gospel with confidence, knowing that there will be a harvest. Now, um, one activity that I really don't like very much is fishing. And the main reason I don't like it is because I don't ever catch any fish. I just uh, sit there all day and uh, don't catch anything, uh, which is really boring. However, if someone was to come along to me one day and they were to say, John, I guarantee you that you will catch some fish, then uh, that would just give me much, much more motivation to actually go, wouldn't it? I would know that the activity wasn't in vain. Uh, I, would, I would know that there was this bunch of sort of hungry fish out there in the pond or out there in the lake, and they were just waiting to be caught, uh, and that would make all the difference to my motivation and uh, me actually going. 
I think Jesus is uh, saying here that it's actually exactly the same with regard to evangelism. Jesus is saying to Paul, I guarantee you that there's a bunch of hungry fish out there in Corinth. Uh, I love them. I've chosen them. Uh, They're just waiting to respond. And so you need to go out there and start telling everybody the good news. And of course, we read that that's exactly what Paul does. Uh, We read in verse 11 that Paul stays a year and a half longer in Corinth, um, teaching and preaching God's word. And so I actually think that this is one of the things that makes evangelism so exciting. Of course, we don't know in advance uh, who God has chosen and who he hasn't. Uh, So therefore, we need to take the message to everyone. But who's to say, maybe, that your new work colleague or that person you speak to every day on the minibus um, isn't just waiting to respond? Who is to say that God hasn't placed you exactly where he has because you are are the the person to reach them with the good news? Maybe the very reason that God has brought you here to Hong Kong at precisely this time um, is because he has people here that he wants you to reach. I can think of um, somebody... I met last year, uh, when I met them, I, I thought they were probably one of the most unlikely people to ever be interested in Christian things. Um, but yet when I spoke with them, to my amazement, this person had lots and lots of questions, and then they eventually shared with me that their brother was even a pastor. Um, now, he hasn't become a Christian yet, but uh, maybe he is somebody who God is working in. And you may be able to think of many examples like that in your own experience. And then really all of this uh, leads us on to the proof of Jesus' promises there in verse 12 to 17. So you can probably imagine the scene. It was a normal day in the marketplace in Corinth. Uh, All sorts of merchants from the four corners of the Roman Empire were passing through and were selling their wares. Um, Seated on a raised platform, uh, which you can see there on the screen, it is um, still actually in the marketplace in Corinth, uh, even now, um, seated on his screen, uh, seated on a raised platform in front of his palace was the Roman proconsul Gallio. Uh, Listen to the cases probably that were being brought to him. Uh, He'd recently become proconsul and was still uh, very much trying to get the hang of things uh, out here in Achaia. As he uh, sat there, he uh, might have been thinking about his home in Spain. Or maybe he was thinking about his older brother, who was the famous Roman philosopher Seneca. Uh, More likely, he was thinking about his illnesses. Uh, We know that he was often unwell, and he often suffered from fevers. Uh, He might have reached the middle of a case about a land dispute, maybe, or maybe a case about a runaway slave, when all of a sudden, there was a great commotion in the marketplace, and some of the local Jews uh, came rushing into the forum. Now, Gallio really didn't know much about the Jews. Uh, He knew that they worshipped one god, which was kind of weird because uh, he worshipped loads of gods, Uh, but he knew that there was a whole load of them who had just recently been expelled by Claudius from Rome. But otherwise, these Jews pretty much kept themselves to themselves. However, he definitely did not want any trouble from Jews here in Corinth. And so when they dragged in this man called Paul, accusing him of worshipping illegal gods, uh, he was more than happy basically to wash his hands of the whole affair. So far as Gallio was concerned, the Jews' accusations, well, they were just a matter for the Jews' own religious law. There certainly wasn't anything that he was going to be paying any attention to. As uh, he 
says in verse 14 and 15, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or some serious crime, then it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. And with that, Gallio issues one of the great surprises in the whole book of Acts because he rules in favor of the Christians. Against all the odds, a decision finally goes Paul's way. Jesus has kept his promise to him to protect him. Paul walks free, and so Paul stays in Corinth a year and a half longer, uh, preaching and teaching God's word. Meanwhile, the uh, crowd turns on one of the Jews, but Gallio turns a blind eye. The precedent is set that the Roman Empire will keep out of the church's way, at least for the moment. What's the message of all this for us? Well, it's not that we will always be protected, of course, and never experience harm for the sake of the gospel. Uh, We know that that is not the case from elsewhere in the Bible, and uh, we know it wasn't the case, of course, uh, for, for Paul later on either. However, we do have two great promises here from Jesus that really can give us confidence this morning in evangelism. Uh, As we share the good news, we know that Jesus is with us. And as we share the good news, we know that some people will respond to the message because they are those whom Jesus has chosen. And so particularly if you're a Christian here this morning, I wonder whether you need to really hear the force and weight of Jesus' words in this chapter to you personally. Maybe some of the following things are true about you. Maybe you've been witnessing to someone for a long time, but you aren't really seeing any response. And maybe you're far too scared or far too embarrassed, far too worried about what other people think, perhaps, uh, to even be known as a Christian. And maybe you used to be really keen, but you've now gone off the boil, and so you no longer really look for uh, uh, opportunities to actually tell others about Christ. Uh, Maybe you've spoken to people in the past, and you've not seen much fruit, and so you're feeling discouraged. Well, if any of those things are true for you, then you need to hear Jesus saying to you this morning, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. We can do each one of those things knowing that Jesus is with us and that he has many people here in Hong Kong. Who knows if we might even meet one of them um, this week. And then maybe you are here and as you've been listening to this sermon this morning, you've actually realized that you couldn't ever get involved in telling other people about Jesus because you don't actually know Jesus for yourself. In fact, you know actually that Jesus is not with you because you've never asked him to be. And if so, then this morning is an opportunity for you to come to him for the very first time. And so Jesus this morning invites you to come to him. You may have been living your life apart from him all of these years, but yet he loves you and he laid down his life for you on the cross so that you could be forgiven. And this morning he invites you to come to him so that uh, you can know his presence in your life. You never need to be alone again because he has promised to be with you forever and ever. Uh, So Jesus says uh, over in John chapter 6 and verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for your word to us this morning. We give thanks for how you um, supported and helped Paul when he was feeling so scared and so weak in evangelism and really daunted by the whole situation in Corinth. And so we pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us. And we pray that we may grasp the reality of your promise that you are with us and that you have many people here in Hong Kong. And we pray that these things would give us confidence in this coming week as uh, we seek to reach out to people in your name. And uh, we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.